Good morning, New Hope, who aren't on holiday or haven't already gone on holiday. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> We're all gearing up for the Christmas season, right? And as Kimberly said last night, we joined with about maybe a thousand other people and sang these re- unbelievably good cows just to get me, get us also in the groove of Christmas because it comes up awful quick. So I thought this morning I'd start by asking you guys, you know, what are some of your favourite parts of the Christmas season? How many would say, you know, I mean, for you, I mean, you enjoy hanging up the decorations and the Christmas trees with the kids? Okay, some of you, absolutely. What about the... Uh, giving and receiving, give, receiving and giving of gifts. Many of you like that? Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of you like that. Well, that's good. How about food? Food, what? Uh, yeah. Actually, quite a few of the men I noticed <laughs> raised their hands there. <laughs> okay. Now, I didn't ask you what is the most important part of Christmas because we already know what the most important part of Christmas is. It's contained in the word Christmas. Christ Mass. Christ Mass. It's all about worshipping Jesus and letting everybody know that the most important part about Christmas is Jesus. Now, some would try to pull the word Christ out of Christmas. I saw a few things last week. Xmas and ex- Christians would take out the word Christ and put Xianity, which is amazing how people try to do that. But for all sorts of reasons, you and I can miss out on Christmas during the season, Christmas worship during the Christmas seasons. And one of the reasons for that is that you and I get too busy at this time of year. How many of you are feeling a little bit of pressure apart from me? Oh my goodness, absolutely. There's just too much going on. You're doing this, you're rushing about here, there and the other and you get to the end of Christmas, I've found previously, and you think, did I really get time to save a Christmas, to worship Jesus? Christmas can become a crazy time when you think about it because in one month, just one month, on top of the normal activities in life, we start to have this idea where we want to write cards to everybody, right? On top of our busy schedule. And then during that same month, we say, hey, why don't we decorate our house? Because after we went to Parnell, we drove up and down Franklin Road last night and saw the beautiful lights. So we offer, some people add value by decorating their trees and their houses with lights and ornaments. And then on top of that, we run around trying to find gifts for everybody. And then... Baking kicks into overdrive and those beautiful smells start to waft from the kitchen during this time of the year. And on top of that, we go, why don't we let the kids out just to add to our, you know, uh, this time, to make things a little easier. We'll just let the kids out of school so we have them a little earlier. And then let's throw our three relatives into the mix who will probably come to stay, like at our house. We've got about five or six people coming to stay. And that's what we do during Christmas. We get so busy, we don't find time to worship. And that's one reason. But I think there's another reason. We don't know how to worship. Not really sure how to worship. What is worship? Well, the original word was worth-ship. Worth-ship. It has to do with the value or worth. Look, some of you in one star sense know very much how this is. You get a new toy a new iPhone or something like that. And what do you do? You talk about it all the time. What? You can do this, you can do this. Or whatever it may be. Or you get a new car, or you get something. And you tend to, something that you admire, it tends to come out of your mouth and you praise it. And you know what happens? It makes your enjoyment even more of having that thing. And it's the same with Jesus. 
Same with worship. It should come out of your mouth and your enjoyment of Him should even grow as you focus on Him. Worship is to do with value and worth what you value in life. Today though, to worship is to say, I believe that you are of absolute worth and anything you say is of absolute worth. See, some people can worship money and they say that's the absolute worth in your life and you're worshipping money. But when you say that of Jesus, you're worth it all. You're absolutely worthy of everything because He knows all, created all, sustains all. Now, there's a missing ingredient in our lives and that missing ingredient of worship at this time of year can add much to our lives. And I want to talk about that this morning. The most important thing you can do at Christmas and don't miss this, is to worship. And by the end of this message, I hope you'll know why and how to and what God's saying to you to do. When you worship, this is the reason why, it changes you. It will change your mind and because it'll change your mind, it'll change the way you feel and the way you see life. Some of us sometimes feel pressure, we feel discouraged, we feel almost sometimes depressed. The way to change that is to change our thinking. And when we change our thinking, it changes the way we feel and the way that we act. Today we're going to look at some very practical examples of worshippers that you already know about, but you may not have seen them quite in this light. I want to take a look at the first worshippers at the very first Christmas. And they came from a long way in the east to find Jesus and to worship Him. And they were called wise men. So today we're going to look at what those wise men did because they show us how to worship. And as we read this passage, I'm going to ask you to circle six phrases with me. And they all show us something. And this is going to give us the outline on how to worship Jesus together at Christmas. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2. The very first Christmas this was, and the Bible says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east. I want you to circle from the east because it's going to tell us something a little later about worship. Came to Jerusalem, asked, where is the one? Circle that phrase too. Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw a star and when it rose, we have come to worship him. When King Herod though heard about this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when they had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. This is what the prophet wrote. But you, Bethlehem, very specific, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Actually, of course, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to find out who he was and destroy him because he was a threat to his dynasty. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Circle that. They were overjoyed. Another part of worship. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Notice, by the way, it does say child there. We'll come to that later. And they bowed down, circle that, and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Circle presents with gifts. Presented him with gifts. That's part of worship. Of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country and by another route. Circle, returned by another route. That's also a part of what it means to worship. So, six parts of worship that we learn from these wise men. First, start with a sincere desire. A sincere desire. Everything. If you don't want to worship, you're not going to worship. You have to want it. Worship is not going to just burst in the front door into your life. You've got to go to his front door, just like these guys went to, uh, went to meet him. Matthew 2 once says this. The Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So who were these guys? These were the political advisors of the day. They were expertise, and they had expertise in science and astrology, excuse me, astronomy and religion. They were the kingmakers of the day, very wise men. They were learned. That's why they were interested. That's why they had come such a long way. They had learned that there was a special king coming to be born. Not just any king, not like any other king like none other. And they came to worship him, not just to see him. Well, that's nice, but we go to see the queen, but to worship him. That was their specific, specific intent. These men had traveled thousands of miles through very arid country and deserts to get here. There was intentionality in this, and their intention was to worship this indicates to me it was a very expensive journey to take time off work for that long to go after this. And it indicates, and, and because it was time off is expensive, and it indicates more than just some, oh, that's interesting, far more than intellectual curiosity. So these guys were hungry to see him. They wanted to see him. There was a strong, sincere desire that's going to take you thousands of miles on a camel which isn't that comfortable. So when they finally found him, they respond with joy, with worship and gifts. So this is a different approach for many people today. Some people expect God to hunt them down and to explain himself, prove he is, and give us gifts. But truly, wise people seek Jesus today for who he is, not from what they can get from him. They went to give to him. So when you think of worship, one of the parts of worship is this desire and wanting it in our lives. This is where it starts. Sincere desire that recognises worship is connecting with the one who made you. Now, that's the first thing these guys teach us. They had a sincere desire. Second thing they teach us about worship is you have to develop an expectant spirit. An expectant spirit. This is a faith factor. See, God can surprise us and He can work above our expectation. 
When you expect to meet God in worship, you tend to sense God's presence in worship. And these guys came and they expected to meet Jesus. Matthew 2, 2. Next verse says, Where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now when they showed up, they expected to find Jesus. They expected that. They expected to worship. And there's a good lesson in that. There's something about spending a few minutes collecting your thoughts on the way into a worship service, expecting Jesus to speak to you and sharpen your life. It'll make all the difference in your life. Most of us, though, sometimes just rush into church, show up, and we wonder why sometimes our hearts aren't prepared. But if I raise my expectations saying, I'm going to meet with Jesus... He's got something to say. He cares about me that can direct the course of my life, that can counsel me out of my pit of despair. There's something in worship that changes everything. When you look at the first Christmas, notice here, right there, the the different people and the different attitudes that they had. This story, you've got three groups of people. Here they are. Number one, obviously you've got the wise men. What was their attitude? It was expectancy. And they expected Jesus to be there. Number two, Herod, well, you have the wise men, they were expectant. Herod was resistant. He didn't really want uh, Jesus to show up at all. He said, hmm, better if he wasn't here. And then you got the religious leaders, that's the third group, and they were indifferent. You know, well, we know about this. Yeah, we've read about this. And they were very indifferent. Notice these Jewish leaders. They didn't need to travel, and you can see where this is. Uh, Far, about six and a half kilometres. There's Jerusalem, and there is Bethlehem. Six and a half kilometres, that's all they had to go. Not far. You could do that all over in a hop, skip and a jump. Six and a half k's to go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. But they didn't bother to go. They were apathetic. No walls. They knew the answer, but they didn't do anything about the answer. Now, hold on. I want to put a pause in here. Thought just came to mind then. I've heard people say, oh, I, I sometimes don't feel that I'm feeding well. I'm getting fed well in my quiet times. For those of you who have ever thought words like that, go look in John. Jesus said this, my food My food, this is Jesus. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the task. If you're not feeling fed in your own quiet times, question, are you doing what God has said for you to do? Otherwise, it's kind of eating like junk food. You're not paying any attention to it. You're not drawing the nutrients out of it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish the task. And the same food is for you and I. Right. Number one, when you discover, first discover, and you come to worship, I'm telling you, it makes an awesome impact on you. I think, my goodness, God, I can sense Him. I can sense Him in my life. That's the first time. It's like the heavens open up. But it is possible to become so familiar like the religious leaders so familiar with the gift of Jesus that they miss the beauty and the awe of Him and the hunger and the expectancy drifts. That's what happens. The wise men though teach us how to worship by building expectancy, this faith 
in our lives. The third thing the wise men teach us is in order to worship, you must choose to express joy. Express joy. Joy happens when I make a choice. When I choose to trust God. Moving along a little. The wise men in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10 said, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Yahoo! It's like something you've been looking for for a long time shows up. Man, your heart skips and you're, you're energised. Adrenaline kicks in. They must, they choose to express joy. They were just overflowing. They didn't just, oh, that's nice. <laughs> There's a difference here in the attitude. They openly express their joy. Now, if you don't enjoy the love of Jesus Christ, you are not really connecting to Him in worship. And part of worship is connecting with Him in joy in the difficult times, when things aren't going quite as planned. Enjoying the fact that He loves you and that no matter what happens to you, His purposes will always out-trump your problems and the difficulties that you will face and that He has eternity for you and that is a huge joy in that and you can bear it, you can hang on because you know you've got one eye firmly fixed on eternity. Now when you think about expressing joy, there's a couple of things to remember. I just want to point out quickly as we wrap this point up. When you express joy for you, it's through your personality. You have to change your personality to express joy like the sanguine, bubbly person over there. Do you have to become like him or her? No, you don't. You need to be like you and express it. But it will be expressed. Remember the first time you loved that first girl or that first, little, or that first guy? You eventually expressed it. It's going to come out. And it'll come out in your actions. It'll come out in your vocabulary. It'll come out in your attitudes. And you know what you'll do? Even if your life is very, very busy, all of a sudden, you'll make space for that person. It magically appears, the time, which your calendar was full before, but the moment love transforms your heart, I have three sons. Two of them are in uh, premarital states. One about to get married in a week or two and the other one just got engaged. Let me tell you, they were busy before but all of a sudden these girls come into their life and somehow space opens up and priorities get aligned by love. Love motivates. And second, by the way, when it comes to joy and worship, be very careful of Christian cliches. They're worthless. 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 God wants authenticity, not meaningless blabber. Like your girlfriend, like your wife, she wants heartfelt, authentic communication, not just words. There's a fourth thing that wise men teach us about worship, and it's decide to humble yourself. Decide to humble yourself. It's quite a moment in history when these great men, these wise men from the East, very celebrated from them, they show up in Bethlehem. And what do they do? They bow before this baby. They bow. Matthew, uh, next verse, 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. 
they recognised. Why did they do that? Because they recognised, oh my goodness, we're in the presence of somebody far greater than we ever can even comprehend. Something far greater. This isn't just a king to lead a country. This is something far greater than that. And when you and I worship, we recognise that we're in the presence of somebody far greater. So much greater, you can hardly even comprehend how much greater. Now, at the first Christmas, these wise men were fact worshippers. Here's another example, though, of a woman who is a stunning worshipper, in my view, and in the Scriptures' view. And that was Mary, the mother of Jesus. At the moment of the announcement by the Archangel Gabriel, historical churches call this the Annunciation. Here's this young teenage virgin, possibly 16 years old. And she was told she's going to have a baby as a virgin. And not only that, he was going to be the saviour of the world. That's something to get your mind around. She possibly had a few things she didn't understand about that, right? But even though she didn't understand, she humbled herself and said yes. Yes to God. She says this in Luke 1, 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. She's saying, I don't understand it, but yes. And part of what it means to have humility is trusting God in His love enough to say yes even when you don't understand it all. Maybe today you need to humble yourself before Jesus and say yes to Him. Maybe you need to say yes to His forgiveness for the very first time. Humble yourself and accept that forgiveness in my life. That is a humble action. You might need to say yes to some change that God wants to do in your life, in a relationship, or some decision in your life, or something that He wants to do in your heart. When you humble yourself, you are recognising the greatness of Jesus and His overriding authority in your life. And this can affect you in ways that's hard to even explain. There's something wonderful that happens in worship. This is what happens. See, for example, when the wise men showed up that day, they saw the star and they went in and they realised, Jesus is here. God wrapped in flesh, so they humbled themselves before the greatness of God. And He's with us here today. And we humble ourselves in worship as an expression of worship from our heart and say yes to Him. That's what we do when we worship. These wise men teach us the fifth thing also about worship. And this is probably the most famous that you can quote and your children probably know. And it's number five. They planned to give gifts. Planned to give gifts. They gave three gifts. This is where people get confused. It does not say there were three wise men. It does say there were three gifts. So be careful we don't get folklore mixed up with biblical fact. Three gifts as a reflection of their heart of worship. Look, you're going to somewhere very special. So what do you do? You bring a gift for them when you go. And these wise men, thinking about it, very wise, they plan this out. 
as a reflection of worship in their heart. Now, I just want to point something out here. Worship is not just taking in, it's giving out. It's taking action. And in worship, we receive from God, but we also give back to God and to others. So in Matthew 2, verse 11, the Bible says this. When they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and what? A myrrh, right. Now, a lot of us never practice this part of worship. At Christmas, what do you give the God who made everything? Who's God everything? It's like the little drummer boy syndrome. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give my king, right? Well, he made you to be in a relationship with him. So when you give him your, uh, give him your choices, when you give him your love, when you give him your devotion, that's the greatest gift that you can give to him. And you give that back to him. Now it's interesting to me and to many people that at that very first Christmas, when you look carefully at these three gifts, they actually foreshadow who Jesus is going to be, what Jesus can do in your life and my life, and also they tell us the kind of gifts that we need to give God. Let's take a quick look. First of all, they gave him gold. This foreshadows the fact that Jesus was going to be a king. Because in those days, the gifts that you gave worthy of a king was gold. It was given to them. And Jesus is the king of the kings. And the Bible says that was a gift that was given to kings. So what does that mean to you and me though? Well, when you think about what you're giving back to God, this means for you, practical application, you... You say, you know, that's gold. You give him your best. You give him your best. And these wise men, they gave, the way they gave teaches us how to give. You give him the best of yourself. You give him the best of your efforts. No half-hearted efforts. No half-hearted love. Jesus doesn't want half-hearted love. Do you want your wife to love you half-heartedly? Uh-uh. Wholeheartedly, right? Wholeheartedly. You give him the best of your resources because, um, yeah, because he gave all those things to you in the first place. We give him a small portion of those back. That's part of worship. Now the next thing, gold. Second thing he gave was frankincense. And they gave frankincense. What they were doing there is they were recognising Jesus as a priest. Why? Because the priest burnt frankincense as an offering to God, which smelt beautiful. As a priest... And they were recognising Jesus is a priest. You see, a priest is a bridge builder, someone who goes between God and man. Jesus is the one who goes between God and man. And he stands at the bridge between a holy God and sinful man to bring us together by what he did on the cross for us and through his resurrection. That proves that sacrifice was acceptable to God. So he wants to bring us close to God and that's what Jesus does. So what does this mean for me? What do, what, how does that instruct me and in what I should give Jesus at Christmas? Well, we've already talked about, first of all, we give him your best, but this is an unusual thing. You give him your worst. This is what this means. You give Jesus your very worst. You give him your sin and you give him your guilt. Now that might sound very strange, but Jesus died on the cross to give you the gift of forgiveness. That's no use unless, first of all, you give him your sin and your guilt. 
You could have given that to receive forgiveness. It's giving and receiving. You honor Jesus by bringing him your sin, by acknowledging that all of us have sinned and fallen short. You honor him by bringing him your guilt, because he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our sin. And you say, I need your forgiveness in your life, in my life. Here's that gift back to you. Some of you need to pray that for the first time right now. Why don't you just tell Jesus? You can do that with your eyes open. Tell him, I need your forgiveness right now. Some of you have prayed that a long time ago, but you kind of wandered off the garden path. And you know, those old sins and old habits are coming at you time and time again. And there's almost got you on a, on a noose. What better gift can you give Jesus at Christmas time than recognizing the gift he gave you? And that is the gift of forgiveness freely. So you give me your best. Second, you give me your worst. And then they gave him something unusual, very unusual myrrh. Myrrh. These wise men gave Jesus myrrh. When they did that, they were recognizing him as their saviour. You know why? Myrrh was a spice that was used to embalm dead bodies. Unusual gift to give a, ba- a, young, a young child dead bodies. A gift, a spice. And what they were actually doing there in that, in that myrrh was giving a gift that foreshadowed Jesus' death. The fact that one day he's going to give his life for you and me so that we can be forgiven. So what does that mean in our giving to him? How does that instruct us? I want to suggest to you that, that that's instructive in that we give our all. He gave his all for you. He gave his life for you so that you could have eternal life. Eternal life. So these wise men gave gifts of great value. They brought them to Jesus and it cost them, cost them something. And that's part of worship. You give God a decision. You give him your heart. You give him a direction that costs you something. You give him part of yourself. You give him the first yay or nay on the choices that you've got. What gift would you like to give Jesus this Christmas? It may be the gift of recognising his forgiveness. I recognise your forgiveness. It may be the gift of trusting him with a relationship or a decision. It may be admitting that you need some new habits that will draw you closer to him. I'm not talking about personal betterment. Oh, that'll come as a byproduct. But it'll draw you closer to him. Now, as you think about those gifts that you'd like to give because you want to, that's part of loving God. That's part of worship, giving gifts back to him. So we plan to give gifts. There's one final thing that these wise men teach us to do, and it's how you end worship. You end with an obedient response. You do what God said to do. Going back to that scripture that just came to my mind in John. My food is to do the will of my Father and to finish the task. Matthew 2.12 
having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now notice they went back by another route. Worship will often change the direction of your life. Radically. Radically. You come in one way. You come in with one set of attitudes. You worship. And as he goes big, all of a sudden those problems disappear. And all of a sudden you get new direction and you go out with a new attitude. It changes. Something happens as I worship. And it causes me to be encouraged. And I have a fresh attitude, fresh courage to get up and fight some more. And you and I can come in sometimes all worried and weighed down with the problems of this world. But if I offer my worship and recognise God in His glory, forget about that stuff. Forget about myself. Concentrate on Him and worship Him. Something happens and I'm being changed from the worry track to the trust in God track. Or I come in and I'm only focused on the stuff that I'm dealing with right now. It's all overwhelming. But something happens when I choose to worship. I get my eyes off the here and now and sometimes I catch a glimpse of eternity and it changes me. And it changes you. It changes the route of your life and that's part of what happens when we worship. That's what, uh, when we're worshipping Him. So, what are you going to do based on what we've heard? Because as we said, part of worship is an obedient response. So what are you going to do as a result of hearing God's Word? I'll tell you one thing we can do. Very practical. And that is to bring other people in to hear the good news. Bring other people into this joy, into this worship. It's not just for you and for me. That is so individualistic. I love this next and last verse on your outline. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are the chosen ones by God. To what? To tell others the night and day difference He made for you. You're the ones chosen by God. You tell someone else and you act on that. It's an obedient response. And that not only changes your life, but somebody else's life too. Somebody told you. So you may invite someone to join you at church this Christmas season. Perhaps somebody who's lost somebody. Perhaps somebody who's feeling down, dooby-doo, down, down. Or somebody who is just so confused and bamboozled by life. Somebody's name may come to you. Why don't you just invite that person? Say, would you like to come join me? It's not your responsibility. What they say, yes or no, that's not with you, but your responsibility is certainly to let those people know. Or maybe your response today is to say, your practical response is to say, God, I need your forgiveness. I've been lukewarm. I've let everything else crowd out my life and you become less important than stuff and other junk. Never give your life to a second class cause. Worship doesn't start and finish here. It may, it may be re-energised and refocused from here, but it continues as we go out the door. As we close, I want to pray a prayer of commitment. Become a worshipper. 
Let that become a more central and focal point of your life. Now I'd invite you to join me in this prayer as we pray together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it instructs us at this time of year to stop and to think about you, the central reason for Christ Mass. So I ask that today you'd move in our hearts. New Hope Church, my prayer is that you would say, Lord, I want you to move me from where I am today to be a true worshipper of you. So I ask that you would help me develop in these things we've just talked about. Would you develop in me and grow in me a sincere desire to love and serve you and to worship you? Help me to want what you can give me in worship and what I can only find in worship and recognise that's what I want. It's you. It's not stuff. It's not even relationships and all the clutter that can clutter my life up, but it's you. God, I also pray that you give me an expectant spirit and build my faith. Help me to expect to meet you and to hear you directing me. Give me a heart, I pray, that chooses to rejoice and to be grateful. Help me, Lord, to bow my knee and humble myself before you. And Lord, I want to be the kind of person who gives back to you because you've given so much to me. I pray that you'd help me to act and not just think about or see or understand, but to act on what you say, that it might be strengthened. when I connect with you in worship. Thank you, Father, for our time together. In your powerful name, we pray. Amen.